All righty. How many baseball fans in the audience? How many baseball fans in the audience? Few? More on this side than over on this side? Okay. I, I love baseball. I was a baseball player most of my younger days. I played baseball, basketball, ran cross country. Uh, and baseball was probably my best sport, even though I probably liked playing basketball better. And I was an infielder and I was a pitcher. And I was much better at being a pitcher than anything else, of anything I ever did in sports. But I didn't like being a pitcher. And the simple reason for that was I didn't like being a pitcher because I didn't like everybody looking at me. Now look what I do for a job. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, the spotlight's on me. Uh, but I want you, even whether you know baseball or not, I'm going to ask you a baseball question. And I bet you know the answer to the question. Uh, finish this sentence. Three strikes and you're very good. Actually, if you know anything about umpires, that's their time in the spotlight. Uh, if, some, if a pitch comes in, there's two strikes, and you don't swing at the third strike, and the umpire thinks it's a tri strike, it's called punching you out. And so the umpire punches you out. He does like a little dance, like, you're out, and screams and stuff like that. It's their moment in the sun. Well, not to rain on their parade, the title of our message today is Three Strikes and You Might Not Be Out. Three strikes and you might not be out. The famous story of the Apostle Peter denying Jesus three times during the Jewish trial of Jesus, which we began last week, only hours before the cross. So right at the outset, let's be honest, let's admit it. Unless your name uh, was Jesus of Nazareth and you lived 2,000 years ago, we all fail, don't we? And we all repeat at our failures quite often. I had a, a religion teacher, or not a religion teacher, a math teacher actually, in my religious high school uh, who used to say in her Irish brogue, the die is cast. And what she meant by that was, uh, what you are now is what you will always be. And if I was there now, I might say to her, hey, listen, sister. <laughs> well, maybe a little more respectful for than that. I would say stick to math, sister, because your theology is awful. It is completely awful. It is not true that what you are now is what you will always be. The truth is that Jesus sees the failures of his followers, and he can bring great good out of those failures. Dare I say quite often that it is the biggest failures that make the greatest and most committed followers of Jesus Christ. So, let's set the scene. Let's be sneaky again. You like being sneaky? Of course you do. You're sinners. You like being sneaky. And so, uh, we've, already, we've already sort of spied on the Last Supper. We've spied on the Garden of Gethsemane. We've hidden behind the tree. Last week, we were in the high priest's house. We were hiding behind the wall, kind of listening to what's going on. Now, we're going to go out into the courtyard right outside the high priest's house and see what's going on there the same time that Jesus is undergoing his uh, you know, trial and discussion with the religious leaders. And so, Jerusalem is packed. It is the Passover. We said that the religious leaders did not want to kill Jesus during the Passover, but they realized now the time was at hand, 
Hours earlier, Jesus had the last supper with the apostles, which was a Passover meal that they ate in the upper room. And let's just go backwards just a little bit to chapter 26, verse 31 to the last supper. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you, and it's plural, he's looking around the table at the apostles, all of you will be made to stumble Some of your versions say, fall away because of me this night. For it is written, and he quotes the Hebrew scriptures, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. We said, Jesus said, that's how you know where to find me. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. So you could just picture Peter. We think he's probably the oldest. He's the leader of the pack, and he's looking around going, listen, I'm not like these losers. They're going to run away. I am not going to do that, Jesus. You can count on me, right? Jesus said to him, that sounds good, Pete. That's not what it says in your version. (laughs) That's in the Peter I wish it was version. (laughs) Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, That this night, listen to this, before the rooster crows, you might deny me three times. No, don't say that. No, 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 no. No room for error here. Jesus is very specific. You will deny me three times. Peter said to him, well, Lord, if you said it, let it be. No, that's not what Peter says. Peter says to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Translation, Jesus, you're wrong. You would think that after over three years of walking with Jesus and Peter always being wrong and Jesus always being right, he might learn. But then again, when we look in the mirror, sometimes we might be saying the same thing to ourselves. Trying to tell Jesus you're wrong, you know, doesn't get you too far. So he says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So they all agreed. Then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying. He tells Peter and the other apostles, you should be watching and praying. And what happened? They all fell asleep. Some of you sound like you're asleep. Judas, who we'll look at next week, Lord willing, brings a mob to arrest Jesus. He's the betrayer. Uh, Peter tries to help Jesus. Do you ever try and help Jesus? You had that work out. That doesn't usually go so well, does it? So what does he do? You know, he, he takes out a sword and he cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus picks up the ear, plops it back on the guy's head. Just, everybody's kind of sitting there wondering what's going on. Jesus is totally calm. He's actually teaching the apostles while he's being arrested. He's teaching the people who are arresting him while he's being arrested. And then in verse 56, we read, Then all the disciples forsook or deserted him and fled. Next, we come into what's going on outside the house of the high priest uh, in the courtyard where Peter is. So we really, we have two parallel trials that are going on. Jesus, excuse me, is being tried on the inside. Peter doesn't know it, but he's about to undergo a trial on the inside. So last week, inside, inside the high priest's house, Jesus was cool as a cucumber, as the plan of God is unfolding, it's moving forward, the cross is coming. Jesus is before the most powerful 
authorities in all of Judaism and all of the land except for the, the Roman soldiers or the Roman governor, and they are accusing him of blasphemy, which under Jewish law could invoke the death penalty, and we marvel at Jesus. He's cool, he's calm, he's collected, his eye is on the prize. His eye is on obeying his Father's will. His eye is on the cross. Peter, we noticed last week, he followed at a distance. And we said last week that that's a way sometimes we keep our options open. But that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is not following at a distance. And now he somehow, we, the other Gospels tell us that somebody knew one of the people holding the, uh, at the gate. And so he got into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, Peter's trial is the exact opposite. Jesus was life-threatening. Peter's is not life-threatening. Peter, Jesus' accusers were very powerful. Peter's accusers are not powerful. Jesus' eye was on the prize, on the cross, the will of the Father. Peter's eyes are on himself. And if we're honest, I think we see a lot of ourselves in Peter. Jesus denies nothing. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Jesus says, yeah, I'm that. But let me explain, let me unpack for you what that really means. And he doesn't deny anything. He says, I'm God. Peter is accused of being a follower of Jesus, and Peter will deny everything. He's not a follower of Jesus. These two parallel trials are going on, and everything is happening opposite. But my dear friends, that is the gospel. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here. It's so important that you understand what, this, what the good news of the gospel is. Jesus tells the truth and he gets condemned. Jesus is perfect and he goes to the cross. Peter lies and he's set free. Peter lies and he's forgiven by God for his betrayal to God. Why? Because of the cross and Peter putting his trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus stands firm in the trial and dies on the cross for Peter's sin and failure, like he dies for our sin and failure that we do every day with our lives, denying Jesus with our lives and with our lips. All right, so here we are. We're sneaking into the courtyard. You ready? We're listening, we're listening. Mark tells us that Peter and some, in his gospel, and some people were warming themselves at the fire. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl. Most Bible scholars would think that a servant girl it would probably be only about between 10 and 15 years old. Now we know that Peter is a big dude. He's a fisherman. Sometimes people think, oh, like he like, I like, it's like my friend, he likes to go fishing. Go down to the docks at Belmar, right? You're like, you have hooks in your feet. They're like, oh, yeah, man. Like, the fishermen are tough guys. We used to go up to Maine and look at the fishermen down at the lobster place. And so and we would be like, man, these guys, like, they, like the, you know, they just crawled out of the dark lagoon or something like that. Really tough guys. At one scene, you see Peter picking up the net all full of fish. So he's this big, strong fisherman guy. So now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. You might want to circle that word with. 
You were with Jesus of Galilee. That's be like on your job, someone coming up to you and going, aren't you one of those Christians? Like, don't you vote Republican, watch Fox News and carry a gun? I know you're one of those people. In my trucking company, I remember we hired somebody and somebody, one of my drivers came in and said, you hired another one of your Christian friends. I said, how do you know? They go, because I need a translator to talk to her. (laughs) Talks in all that weird language, like I know what she's talking about. She's like, you don't talk like that. Why? And I go, because you guys don't do the job when I talk like that. You don't know what I'm talking about. And so, and so somebody comes up to you and says, aren't you one of those Christian people? You know, you got the Bible verses on, the, on, your, on your cubicle and, you know, the Jesus, Jesus loves me mug and stuff like that. And you're like, uh, uh, uh. Verse 70, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. Another version says, I don't know what you're talking about. Another version says, I don't know what you mean. Strike one. That's strike one. Jesus is up against, once again, Jesus is up against the most powerful men in the land who can tell the Romans, hey, this guy thinks he's king. We know Caesar's is king, and we know Caesar says, you got to kill him if he thinks he's the king. That's who Jesus is meeting with. Peter is up against what would be considered culturally the least powerful person of all, a servant girl. She comes up to him and says, weren't you with Jesus? And he goes, I, I really don't know what you mean. You know, you know Jesus of Galilee. I, I, Jesus of where? What? Doesn't he sound like one of our politicians? I mean, he really does. You ask some pointed question, they're like, I have no recollection of that. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'll get my people on that. I have no comment on the matter. I really, I really don't know what's going on. Perhaps part of the problem is what it says in verse 70, but he denied it before all. Others are listening as well. There's a crowd of people there. Perhaps they looked at Peter and they're like, man, that dude looks so uneasy. And Peter foolishly thinks he can just come in and blend in with the crowd. Did you know that a true follower of Jesus cannot blend in with the crowd? You've tried that, haven't you? Doesn't work. Can't do it. Does it does, doesn't, doesn't bode well for you. So, so don't even try. So this girl comes up to you, him and he appears to be caught off guard, forgetting, by the way, his earlier words of loyalty. You know, hey, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. What happened to him? Fear went out over faith. He was more afraid in that moment of people than he was of God. It's quite common in the scriptures. It's quite common in our own lives. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Verse 71. And when he had gone out of the gateway, so he's trying to make it back to the main entrance, but it appears to be locked, Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, right? Now, notice she doesn't say it to Peter. Peter just overheard it. This fellow kind of pointed at him, which could be a dig, also was with Jesus. You might want to circle that again. 
with Jesus of Nazareth, another dig. I mean, those people were just, they were the country bumpkins, the Jerusalem sophisticated, educated people, and the people from Galilee. Oh, my goodness. But they were all in Jerusalem for the Passover. That's why the religious leaders were afraid of them, and they thought that Jesus might be the Messiah. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. He's a stranger to me. I don't know anything about him. I don't know him. Strike two. Strike two. Earlier, we noted that Peter was following at a distance. What is he doing now? He seems to be moving further away from Jesus. He's really distancing himself from Jesus. You know, moving further from Jesus is a progression that we don't always see. That's why we need to stay close to Jesus. That, that's, that, that's, why we, we, that's why we need Christian friends. That's why we need people we can really talk to in the areas of, of which we are struggling. Let's be more honest. The areas in which we are sinning. The areas in which we need to grow. You see, Peter has moved away from the fire, but inside his soul is a raging blaze of fear. And things are really heating up. Perhaps he's thinking, oh no, I, <laughs> I, was, in the, I was in the garden, man. What if, what if people, people recognize me? What's he trying to do? He's trying to be an undercover Christian. You can't be an undercover Christian. It just doesn't work. God loves you too much to let you be that. It's, it's not going to work at all. You see, here's the thing, and it's very sad. When you, when you start to walk away from Jesus... Each step gets easier. And it's hard to turn around when you're going down the road the wrong way. I want to talk to the young people for a minute because all the older people are going, yeah, amen, Pastor Jim, amen, Pastor Jim. And you young people are like, going, what is he on about? Because the reality is that it's important that you know that once you start to go down that road the wrong way, before you know it, it'll seem like you're on a one-way street. And there'll be signs that'll be saying to you, no U-turn, you can U-turn. But it's going to be very painful. And so it's very important to take an inventory of your own life. I talked about this with young people all the time. Where do you want to be 10, 15 years from now? And are the things that you're doing today going to help you get to that place? Or are the things you're doing today actually going to take you away from that place? You have hopes, you have dreams. They're not going to come to pass if you're doing stuff that's going to defeat those things right now in your life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, do you feel like right now you want to just grab Peter and be like, dude, stop. Don't do this. Remember who you are. You're a child of the king. But every time I read the Bible and I want to do that, God says, you know, Jim, maybe I'm grabbing you and I want to do that. And maybe God wants to grab all of us this morning and say, hey, stop doing that. You're going the wrong way. It might be this little thing. You don't think it's that big a deal. But, but really, you have, to, you have to be careful. You're going down a one-way street. You're going the wrong way. To Peter, we would say, don't you remember what you said about Jesus? Way back in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus is asking the apostles, 
who do people say that I am? Verse 15. Then he looks at the apostles and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? It really matters. It doesn't matter what people say who Jesus is. It matters what you say Jesus is. And it says, verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Where did that guy go? Where did that guy go? The creator of the universe says, well, who do you think I am? Slave girl comes up to him and goes, weren't you with him? No, no. Here we have in strike two, basically the same accusation. You were with Jesus. But now he answers with an oath. He says, I don't know the man. She said, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I don't know the man. What's he doing? He's making it less personal. He's making it less personal. That's why a lot of times, you know, when I try to talk to people, and I would advise you to do this, stop with the generic God and talk about Jesus. I remember the people that I met who were followers of Jesus. This is what weirded me out about them. Seriously. They talked like they knew him. I could talk with people about God, no problem. 12 years of religious school. Two aunts who were nuns, one uncle was a priest. I could talk that talk. But that knowing Jesus thing, I couldn't talk that talk. Now people say to me, well, how do you know Jesus is real? I go, I was just talking to him. (laughs) Last week, the high priest asked Jesus for an oath on his identity, and Jesus told the truth, knowing fully well that that would put him on the cross. Here, Peter wasn't even asked for an oath, yet he swears and lies. I, I I I don't know the man. I don't know this Jesus of Nazareth fellow. Now, I wonder if his Holy Spirit alarm began to go off in his head. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what that is. You have a conscience. We all have a conscience. The further you walk down the wrong road, the less your conscience is telling you something's going wrong. When someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us, and so we have another way of God telling us, speaking to us, but really a much more personal way, and it's part of how we know God himself. And so when we're doing the wrong thing, there's that little voice. I've had people say to me, you know, I go to sin, and all of a sudden I'm singing praise and worship songs. What's up with that? I'm like, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Or, you know, I'm doing the wrong thing, and there's that one voice saying, you're such a loser, you're no good, God could care less about you. I'm like, yeah, that's the other guy. But there's the other voice saying to you, you know, you don't need to do that. You're a new person. You have an identity in Jesus. He died for this. You have the power over sin now. You can say no. And so I wonder if the Holy Spirit alarm was going off in Peter's head because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned against using an oath to mask a lie. You know that, I cross my heart and hope to die. You know, I swear in my mother's grave. Your mother's alive. What do you mean you swear in your mother's grave? <laughs> right? right? Just all these different things that people say. You're laughing because you said them. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 33 through 37, Again, you have heard it said, heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is by his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, But let your yes be yes and your no be no, 
for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So what does Jesus want? Jesus wants us to keep our promises. It's that simple. We shouldn't have to swear, right? We shouldn't, we, no offense to the attorneys in the audience, but we shouldn't have to have a lawyer for everything. I, I've had landlords, I've told you this in the past, where the landlords are like, you know, we've had lease agreements on buildings, and they're like, I don't want to sign a lease with you. And I go, why? You want to kick us out? They go, no, I want you to stay. You're the best tenant in the world. And I'm like, well, why don't you want to sign a lease? They go, because you can get a lawyer to get you out of that. If I shake your hand, it's a done deal. That's, why, that's the way Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to keep our promises. He wants us to keep our commitments. We don't need to swear an oath. We should be faithful to do what we say that we're going to do. Verse 73. And a little later, Luke tells us it's about an hour later in his gospel. Now, most likely at this time, people are beginning to point the finger at Peter. And, and they're, they're talking about him. And, 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 and he, can't, he can't get out. He, gates are locked. So in a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely or certainly you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Now there was a distinctive accent of the people from Galilee. It was so bad that if they were on television, there would be subtitles under them when they were speaking. And they could hear it in the accent. You've got the same accent that Jesus has. And so they heard it in Peter's speech. So they knew he was from that area. You may not know this, but a lot of you see people on news and in movies and stuff like that, and they seem to have no accent. And you're like, how does that happen? Because they go to school. You can actually go to school to be trained to have like a neutral accent. So you watch your favorite movie star and you're thinking like, oh, he's an American. I love that guy. And then he gets on a talk show and he's like, crikey, mate, can you believe that? <laughs> right? <laughs> because he went to school to, to learn how to talk without his accent. Peter's like, should have went to that school. <laughs> Peter, Peter didn't go to that school. And so they said, your accent betrays you. Verse 74, then he began to curse. So, so we'll say that Peter had a mouth like a fisherman. <laughs> Which I don't mind saying, because I was a truck driver a lot of years, and the truck drivers always take the brunt of that one. They're like, oh, he's got a mouth like a truck driver. I'm like, why am I not? You know, and the sailors, too. Why, why is it the truck drivers and the sailors, right? A lot of people have foul mouths. So anyway, I do digress. Then he began to curse and swear... Saying, and the idea, he's saying it now over and over again. Basically, he's having a hissy fit. <laughs> he's, he's having a meltdown. I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Strike three. Strike three. Something interesting about this, Peter's cursing is unclear. Most of our Bible versions, which are actually cleaned up in a lot of ways, uh, assume the best of Peter and um, assume that he is saying something like, God curse me if I am lying. While they are a minority, there is a good number of Bible scholars who actually think that Peter could actually be cursing Jesus himself. That I'm being blamed for something for being associated with this guy that I don't even know. Curse the man. I don't know him at all. Stop asking me about this. 
Why is Peter doing this? Because Peter is not trusting in the plan of God. And, and by the way he's doing it is he's seeking to look like he is not a disciple. And he is seeking to save himself. And that would describe most people we know. They don't know that, that they are seeking to save themselves. You say to people, uh, I'm, I'm going, are you going to heaven? I am. Why? I'm a good person. Seeking to save themselves. Seeking to save themselves. You say to people, are you a Christian? I'm trying. You don't try. You're either a Christian or you're not. Right? You've either trusted in Jesus or you haven't. Are you a Christian? I'm trying. They're trying to save themselves. At the same time, again, we saw this last week, Jesus is in total control, telling the truth, trusting his heavenly Father's plan to be the Savior and to give his life so all who would put their trust in him would have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Peter's accent proves that he is from where Jesus is from. His accent. Yet his language He doesn't sound like a follower of Jesus, does he? Maybe some of us need to be careful of that. We may know all the right Christian words, but sometimes our language that we use doesn't exactly sound like a follower of Jesus. And that's something that you really have to pray God would take from you. That was one of the things when I first became a follower of Jesus, all my friends were like, dude, you used to curse like every third word. And now you don't do it any, at all anymore? What's going on with that? I'd be like, you know, I never really thought of that. Like, I didn't even notice it. And pray God would take that from you. Now, another thing here is, being from that area, how could he not know anything about Jesus? I mean, everybody from that area knew every stuff about Jesus. So what is he doing? He's just digging the hole deeper that he's a complete liar. One step further, one step further, one step further. It's getting easier to take the steps. But he's getting further and further away from the Lord. Now, in the other gospel accounts, I was actually thinking maybe one year we'll do this thing where we'll piece all the accounts together. Uh, take a couple months getting ready for uh, Easter, which we're going to do a little bit uh, in, the, in, in, Feb- in February and March of next year. But... In in John's gospel, we see a reason for a little bit more of the panic. John 18, 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Just imagine, like, you know, that's my cousin over there. And yes, his ear is back on. But you see the blood on his shirt? You owe us money for dry cleaning. <laughs> so, but, but, but I bet you he could ID you. I, I bet you that he knows it was you. I, you look like just like the guy who stepped up with that sword. You could just imagine, man, the fear is now probably really crushing his faith. And then that, that next question comes. But then, the grace of God comes. You know, that's the thing about the grace of God. It it comes from the most unlikely places and when you least expect it. Remember I said that way back when we were studying up Matthew. Jesus came and visited him at work. 
<laughs> That's what he did for me. He came visiting me at work. I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm working. Jesus is like, it's all right. It'll get done. And so, and so there he, he appears. Uh, the grace of God appears to Peter after the third denial. And look at it. It's right here at the end of verse 74. Immediately a rooster crowed. The old Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, whose who's writing is just so timeless. He, he put it this way. The crowing of the cock is to Peter instead of John the Baptist, the voice of one calling to repentance. Peter is reminded by a bird of his weakness. And all of a sudden his heart is just flooded with guilt and shame as he realized I betrayed Jesus not one time, not two times, but three times, just like he said I would. Like, gosh, what have I done? Loved ones, it it may not seem it at the time, but often the Lord comes to our rescue at our absolute worst moments. Because he knows those moments are when we are most vulnerable. He knows those moments are the moments that we're really going to hear what he has to say to us. He comes in those moments, I believe, so we will never forget the depth of our sin and the depth of his love. And we will be reminded, as the scripture teaches That his grace is greater than our sin. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says this, For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good one someone might even dare to die. You know, if someone was good, maybe someone would say, I would die for that guy. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Now we come to verse 75. I want to read it twice, the second time, because I want to interrupt it actually with a different Bible verse. It says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Listen to how I'm going to throw in what Luke has to comment on this, what's going on. And Peter remembered the word, back again, verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had spoken to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Stop right there. Let's go to Luke's gospel. And it says, at this very moment, Luke 22, 61 at 62, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. And just picture the scene at the Last Supper. There's Peter, big guy, strong guy, tough guy, proud, confident. I will never deny you. And then his failure just crashes in on him. I mean, it's like a bowling ball hitting the pins. Strike one, strike two, strike three. And then whether Jesus is being led through the courtyard or saw him through a window, 
Jesus turns and looks at St. Peter, the denier. What did he see? What did Peter see? You know, if it was in our world, what would we see? I told you so, Peter. Or, well, I hate to say it, but I was right. You don't sound like you hate to say it. (laughs) I hate to say it, but I was right. Or something like this. You know, Peter, you are such a disappointment to the apostolic team. Heaven is so disappointed. We expected this from Judas, but not from you. You're supposed to be the example. All of the oldest in the family, we know what we're talking about on this one. No, that, that's not what he heard at all. So he didn't hear anything. Jesus looked at him. Oh, those eyes spoke. Those eyes spoke. Remember, we said that last week that they were beating Jesus. Remember, they blindfolded him and they were beating his face. They were slapping his face saying, prophesy who hit you. Well, by now, Jesus is a black and blue mess. And remember, they were spitting in his face. Do you think they said, oh, here, Jesus, let's clean your face up and let's, let's get some ice packs for you. We're really sorry. Or do you think they left the spit? And there's Jesus walking through or looking out at Peter. His face swollen. Spit dripping off his face. Peter sees eyes of pain and eyes of pardon and eyes of compassion. You see, I, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to ask Jesus when we get to heaven, but how would, you, how would you compare, Jesus, the pain of the beatings with the pain of being betrayed by those you love? I think he would say, what beatings? It was the betrayal of those I love so much that hurt so much. And yet, I believe with all of my heart, he looks at Peter with eyes of love and said, I told you you were going to do that, Peter, so you'd know how much I really loved you. So you know how much that, that nothing will separate you from the love of God. It's quite possible Peter thought that he would follow Jesus and save Jesus only to have Peter see that he needed to be saved. This weeping is repentance. How how do you know it's it's turning to God? Well, one reason is is that Peter doesn't hide. In in just a short time, he's going to be back with the other apostles. He's not going to run away. Peter's loyalty to Jesus and to the church that Jesus is building becomes stronger than how he looks to other people. You say, how can you say that? How do you know that? Because this story is in all four Gospels. The first three, there's a lot of overlap, but John's Gospel is very different. So having a story in all four Gospels really tells us the significance of this story. How did it get in all four Gospels? Nobody but Peter knows what's happening. 
He didn't have to tell anybody. Peter told everybody. Peter came and said, man, you're not going to believe what I did. And the master, when he looked at me, I knew he forgave me. I, I, I didn't deserve it. I denied him. And he affirmed me. I pretended like I didn't know him. And he didn't go, hey, there's one of my guys, arrest him too. No, he didn't do that at all. You see, the gospel of Mark is widely considered to be the first gospel. And the source of the gospel of Mark is Peter. That must be where Mark got the story. Peter just, he didn't want to skip it. He didn't want to, he, he wore it proudly because of the grace of God. Now, if you're a skeptic here today, I'm glad that you're here. This is certainly one of those moments where we have to say, well, the Bible would have to be true. Because you would, if, listen, I don't know how to start a religion, but if I were going to start a religion, I wouldn't start with the first um, leader being a massive failure. I, I would not do that. I know some of you who are older, back in the day, the pastor said, keep your distance from the people. You got to let them see you as a certain way. I just think that's a bunch of baloney. Half my Christian life, I sat in the congregation, and I'm like, I don't buy it. So, uh, you know, sooner or later, they're gonna, you guys are going to find out that I'm an idiot. So why don't I just tell you when I'm up here? <laughs> Did somebody say Amen. <laughs> No way to start a religion. But, he, but we see the failures of the early founders of the church all over the scripture. Peter shows us the danger of self-sufficiency in the Christian life. How easy it is to start out strong and to fall away when the pressure or the sin comes on strong. Next week, Lord willing, we look at Judas. That was remorse, not repentance. Judas chose not to be restored by Jesus. Jesus restored Peter on a beach. But he also, I think, the restoration had already started here in that look. And when he rose from the dead, he said, hey, go tell the apostles that I've risen from the dead and Peter too. Like in case he thinks, well, I'm sure he doesn't want to see me. Actually, no, he asked for you specifically. He wants to see you too. Oh, does he want to reprimand me? No, no indication of that at all. Loves you guys. Wants to see you guys. This, this was not the end of Peter's ministry. He became the leader of the Jerusalem church. He became the, 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 the leading apostle as, as things began to unfold. Friends, failure does not have to be the final word. Failure does not have to have the final word. It didn't for Peter, really. It was just the beginning. Peter had to learn something that we all have to learn, that our massive failures are often the path to our coming to Jesus and our walking with Jesus. By the way, quite often the biggest failures make the best leaders in the body of Christ. Because they don't have any airs about them that they got it all together. 
They know who they are. They know who they were. They know what Jesus did in their life. What I love about Peter is this failure doesn't define him. He doesn't let it define him. Jesus will define him. It doesn't damage him. He won't let it damage him because he is healed and restored by Jesus. What does it do? It changes him because of Jesus' reaction to him. It's an amazing story about Peter. Remember the slave girl said, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter totally wilts. He totally wilts. He's like the flower in your garden when it's 100 degrees out and you walk out and you're like, that thing hasn't been watered in a, in a week because you were away on vacation and you know, your kids forgot. You're like, I told you to water the plants, right? And, and you walk out and that thing is wilted. Peter wilts in front of the servant girl. And just a number of weeks later, he is before, with John, the religious leaders. The same dudes that had Jesus on the hot seat. Now, Jesus is gone. Peter's, Peter's not, Jesus is not in the hot seat, so his followers are in the hot seat. That great verse, Acts chapter 4 Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You know, Jesus was not schooled in all the higher schools of learning in Jerusalem. Here he comes in with that funky accent, comes into Jerusalem. They're making fun of him. And the, and the religious leaders come and they ask him their snarky questions, trying to trick them, and they go home with their tails between their legs every time. Why? Because Jesus spent a lot of time with the Word of God and with his Father. And now these dudes, fishermen, are standing, uneducated, untrained men, are standing before the religious leaders and they're hammering the religious leaders. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. I know, most of you, you want to make a difference in this world. I know you do. I know you want to make a difference in the lives of people for, with your faith. You want to make a kingdom difference. It doesn't happen if you're not spending time with Jesus. It just doesn't. And so you spend that time with Jesus you thank him for your failures. You thank him that he loves you despite your failures. And then people will, will listen to you. They'll be like, I, <laughs> what is it with this guy? What is it with her? I remember I spoke at my dad's funeral before I was a pastor. And I did the eulogy. They gave me three minutes. I talked for 20. You know, I got in the car with the, with the guy in the, driving the you know, the, the family in the front seat, he goes, we didn't realize we were with a religious scholar. No, he was just with a guy who'd been with Jesus. That's all it was. When Peter was older, he would write these words, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks, that would be even people you're afraid of, 
who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Some versions say with gentleness and respect. Same letter, 1 Peter 5 and 6. And this is, when, again, when Peter's older, 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You could just picture Peter talking to the churches he was visiting and and saying that to them and saying, that's the exact opposite thing of what I did that night. And how much pain it took that man to write those things. And maybe today you want to go home and read 1 Peter. Or tomorrow and read it and realize how much pain is really in that letter because of how badly he failed. 700 years earlier than than Peter lived, Isaiah 55 and 6 and 7, the prophet Isaiah says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I think Peter would remind us all today that is so very true. Our world says three strikes and you're out. Others might say, well, three strikes and you may or may not be out. Peter would say this to us. Stop trusting the Lord. Stop trusting in yourself and trust in Jesus. And not only won't you be out if you trust in Jesus, but you will be in. You will be in the kingdom of God. You will be in the kingdom of heaven because of the compassionate Savior who died on the cross for your sin and for your failure. As we partake of the Lord's table, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to invite you to get up And get out of your seat. If you can't, raise your hand and the ushers will bring the elements to you. But get up and get out of your seat. Walk down the center aisle. Take the elements and walk down along the side. And make a public statement to all of us in this room. I am with Jesus. If you've never turned to God and put your trust in Jesus, you can in your seat right now. And if you're still not there, I'm going to have a word for you in a bit. Let's pray.